0: Hey, Velocity Church, it's good to be worshiping with you this morning, and if you're new and you're checking us out, welcome to you as well. We've been in this sermon series called New Normal, and we've been looking through the New Testament letter written from Paul to the church in Colossae, and last week we talked about what it looks like to grow in our faith as we imitate Christ, and this week we're going to take a look at what it means for the church to function normally, which you can go in a lot of different directions with that. That's, that's a huge can of worms to open. And one of the f- fascinating things about the church is that in many towns across our country, at least normally, you could go and on four corners, there'd be four different churches that if you visited in four Sundays, you'd have four completely different types of experiences. There are really about five major categories that describe church styles. Uh, you have liturgical, you've got traditional, you've got blended, contemporary, and modern. And of course, within each of those five major categories, there are various combinations and unique expressions and approaches. The church that I grew up on the south side of Richmond is completely different from how Velocity is. I still remember as a kid, there wasn't kids' church during adult church. Everybody sat together on a pew. You had to pay attention. They had these little wooden plaques on the wall that recorded attendance, recorded offering, those types of things. Uh, The only accompaniment was piano. And you sang out of a hymn book. And so I remember those things very vividly uh, that you were there with probably a tie on. A lot of people had suits, their dresses, and you're there Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night. However, even if you took two churches with the same style and faith tradition background, you'd still experience somewhat of a different feel. Even if you can't quite put your finger on why that is, maybe it's the setting, maybe it was your mood that day, maybe it was the topic of the sermon, but there's one factor that holds more weight than any other, and I'll tell you what that is when we come back from the break. Just kidding. I just have never gotten to do that before. We're not actually going to have commercials or anything, but before I tell you what it is, that same factor that holds more weight than any other to make a church feel unique is the same factor that makes a church feel so familiar even when you are not in your normal context and so if you have a beach vacation or maybe you're gone for a weekend or maybe even on a mission trip the church you attend will also in addition to being unique provide some very comforting familiarity I've had the privilege to worship with fellow Christians in five different countries uh, from different mission trips that have been on th- over the years and while the setting and the style and and the language and most of the people would be unfamiliar to me, I've always felt a partnership with that body of believers that made me feel quite at home, even if communion was loaf bread and Coca-Cola and an open-air structure on wooden benches. And whether totally unique or comfortably, comfortably familiar, the common factor and denominator for both is this, the people. I know, you're shocked. You never saw that coming. You had no idea. Uh, The most precious commodity the church has, and this is, of course, built on the foundation of Jesus, so other than Jesus, are the people who make up the church. And maybe not for reasons that you might expect. Uh, It's not about simply perpetuating the existence of the organization, and it's not simply about producing a product to satisfy customers. The normal church is about redeemed, reconciled relationships, the more people who choose to imitate Christ in their personal growth, the more the church looks normal and unique as the body and bride of Jesus. Two very significant metaphors used to describe the assembling, togethers, describe the assembling together of believers throughout the New Testament. First, reconciled relationships with God and then with each other. And how we choose to go about those two things personally and therefore communally produces the personality that the church is made up of, their unique gifts and talents and the willingness to share those things among the people there in that gathering. So what we do as a church body and how we go about it is meant to be representative of what God has called us and every church to be, like our mission, helping people find Jesus and love God. It's taken from very two clear teachings of Jesus, the greatest commandment and the great commission. And really, it's the mission of every church that exists. And, and how God has called us to do that in some unique ways come through some things like our rules here at Velocity. No perfect people allowed, no one stands alone, and everyone's story matters. Of course, right now, what's considered normal for any church has been changed in some way, but even in this new normal, temporary but new normal, our response with what we say and do may shift in methodology for a time, but the ministry that we pursue doesn't. Throughout history, the church has adapted to its context, whether during times of plague or persecution or even prosperity. At the core of why we gather and worship together is also what has kept the church moving forward, and it's about relationship. As a staff and leadership, we've been talking, we've been planning, we've been preparing and praying and continuing to do so about what things look like now and what things are going to look like in the future. I know I've constantly got the question, what should normal look like for Velocity and in the coming months? Uh, That's always kind of going through my mind and I'm thinking about that. I've said it before and I'll say it again, I'm looking forward to when we're gathering again face to face. It's better for us in so many ways. And I know we're going to be as wise and thoughtful as we can be about what that will look like. And we're planning and prepping for that now, though, of course, we don't have that date right now. Uh, But in the meantime, we can all still operate as the church. Paul went on long missionary journeys to share the good news about Jesus. And the Colossian church was as a result of that. It wasn't from him personally, but one of the people that he had met and converted to Christianity, Epaphras, he went to Colossae and he started the church there. And as as Paul writes this letter while he's under house arrest in Rome to this church he didn't start, and as he addresses some of the unique challenges they face in their faith journeys, he's also able to encourage them through what they all share in common, even though they're separate. And Paul writes this opening statement in Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. So the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our church might not be meeting normally, but there are normal functions of the church that we can all be about at any time. These are the things that Paul prays for that the church, that he's encouraging them uh, about and that he knows that they can be a part of together. The the knowledge of God's will and and the way we know God's will is that we devote our lives to him and how we approach life. Uh, He's praying for wisdom and understanding from the Holy Spirit, which who among us don't need more wisdom and understanding right now about the way things are and how they're going to be? that we might please God, because it's really easy, especially when we're supposed to be a little bit more isolated than usual to focus only on ourselves, that we bear fruit. And, and that's how we recognize each other as fellow fellow followers of Jesus. Uh, Paul prays for strength. And man, uh, strength is definitely something that we all need for maybe some of the weary things that we're having to deal with right now in our lives. Uh, endurance I mean, it's one thing to be able to carry a backpack full of bricks for a couple feet, but it's a whole nother thing to be able to carry them for an entire mile. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so Paul prays that the way that they live their lives and approach God would give them endurance in, in this life. And patience, man, that's something that I know I, know I need, and, and thanksgiving. This all put together allows us to be able to come together and celebrate what God is doing in and among us, what he's done for us both in the past and the present, and what he will do in the future. That prayer that Paul prays for this church family paints the picture of how redeemed people prepare for relationship with each other. And that preparation ties directly into how the work of the church Progresses That strength and endurance that the Holy Spirit provides for us, it prepares us for the work of the church. You know, at some point, you know, we're going to come together again. We're going to have to wear something more substantial than stretchy pants. Uh, We're going to meet with people face to face. So we're going to have to, I don't know, maybe put on deodorant, brush our teeth. Our small groups, they're going to gather in person again. And and we can either wait until the last minute for a mad rush to prepare for all those things, like, oh man, I I guess maybe I should finally clean my house after all this time of having nobody over, or the groundwork we lay now will leave us ready for what comes next. And so that list of things that Paul gives that he's praying for and celebrating with the Colossian church, it gives us a descriptor of what people who make up the church should be about. But I also want to give you a practical example of what this redemption plus reconciliation relationship that we're called to share in together looks like. And if you normally skip past names or especially lists of names when you're doing your Bible reading, you might miss it. But all the way, almost at the end of the letter in Colossians chapter 4, Paul mentions one name in particular that's pretty important especially in conjunction with another one of Paul's letters in the New Testament. So let me read uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you all about the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage our hearts. Sounds like a good guy, but he's not who we're going to be looking at. He is coming with Onesimus, Our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that is happening here. And that's all Paul says about Onesimus. He just says, hey, he's on his way. And it may not seem like a huge deal that he's identifying him in this letter. However, there's another letter that talks more about Onesimus that's written by Paul, and it's probably carried by Tychicus and Onesimus as they're heading to the Colossian church. It's the letter of Philemon. It's the shortest letter that Paul ever wrote that's in the New Testament that we have. And he writes it to one of the members of the Colossian church. His name is Philemon. He's a wealthy man. Uh, The church is likely meeting in his home. He's probably one of the leaders there. Uh, But we quickly discover that he and Onesimus have a relationship, and that is that Onesimus had run away from Philemon, even though he was one of his slaves. And they were about to meet again face-to-face since that time. And the letter that Paul writes to Philemon is to prepare him for the good that he knows he ought to do when it comes to a redeemed, reconciled relationship with fellow believers. Paul opens with this in Philemon verses 4 through 7. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Uh, Paul then goes on to explain why Philemon should completely forgive Onesimus and to not welcome him back as a slave, but instead as a free man, as someone who's equal as a brother in Christ, essentially as a family member. In verse six, Paul uses uh, what's translated in the version I just read from, uh, uh, he uses a Greek word that's translated as partnership, and it's, it's the word koinonia, and it simply means a partnership and relationship, a dynamic, interactive, an interconnected relationship with God and with fellow believers. Now the churchy version of this word that maybe you've heard before is translated as the word fellowship. Uh, So maybe you can think of some church gatherings that you've been a part of at some point in your past, maybe a a fellowship meal for example, but it has a much deeper meaning in mind other than just getting together and hanging out. Uh, Redemption and reconciliation and relationship leads to partnership. And that's what it means to be a part of a church family. Philemon's legal rights were to have Onesimus imprisoned or punished, or if he was a bondservant, to extend his servitude to make up for time lost. But all of that was to be put, in, put aside. In fact, Paul says later in his letter that if Onesimus has any charges against him, that, that Philemon should charge that to Paul's account, which is exactly what Jesus does on the cross for us. And it's why Jesus establishes the church. The church exists to foster partnerships in the faith. So our new temporary normal as a church can continue to reflect the ongoing normal of the church as we engage each other, as we engage the world around us, without the need to control what we're not in control of, but to live a new life together as equal partners who share the same need for forgiveness and adoption that we experience through Jesus and maybe maybe you felt enslaved by your circumstances or the things that are going on in your life or have happened in your past maybe God's been nudging you in some ways in your life uh, so that you know you've got some spiritual chains that are still enslaving you and keeping you from experiencing the fellowship that he desires with us and to have with one another and i just want to encourage you uh, that to maybe pray through or think through taking some next steps in your faith that we would love to walk through with you. Uh, if you go to velocitychurch.info slash connect uh, right now or after the service, we're, we're there and we're ready to help you through what it looks like uh, to be set free uh, from, from that former life that we've all been enslaved by and chained, chained up in. Meanwhile, uh, as we continue in our time of worship together, this morning, we're going to share in a time of communion together. And, and to do that, I want to read another short section from early on in Paul's letter to the Colossians in which he sets the foundation for why we keep our hearts and minds set on Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in, every, in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the redemption and the reconciliation that you provide to us through Jesus. God, we thank you that more, more than anything else that you have moved us from being separated from you to being in relationship with you and God that we get to experience that together to encourage one another to celebrate each other to welcome each other in as family as equal partners in this forgiveness and adoption that you offer to each and every one of us God we're we're grateful we're thankful we thank you for the strength for the endurance that that gives to us in this life and God as we share in this time of communion uh, together i ask that you continually remind us through your Holy Spirit what it means to be a part of the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.